Hey everyone, welcome to Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast that takes a deep dive into canine behavior, building up alone time comfort, and helping improve the welfare of our beloved canine companions. In this podcast, we will discuss real-life tactics for modifying behavior, real alone time case studies, and help guide you through the emotional process of behavior change. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take the next step in your alone time training. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Home Alone and Comfortable as Heck, the podcast. We have a very important topic today, which is going to cover how we can work towards increased welfare for maximum training results. But before we do, I wanted to answer a few really awesome listener questions after last week's episode that will likely be helpful to each and every one of you out there. All right, so the first question comes from Caitlin P. And Caitlin was curious about how to determine whether vocalizations during an absence are linked to anxiety or just linked to boredom. Um, Caitlin, this is awesome and definitely piggybacks on the conversation that I had last week because all behavior serves a function as we discussed in the last episode and not all even like for example even if two dogs are vocalizing in two different contexts they're not necessarily trying to communicate the same thing one could yes actually be in experiencing an increase in fear anxiety or stress which is common for a lot of the cases that I take on um, and another one could just be bored or could be demand barking or could be yelling at a squirrel out the window etc so it's very important that we are picking this apart and understanding what it is that that individual is trying to communicate. So how do we do this? Um, first things first, we need to get our eyes on our pups. You can use a camera, um, like a Wise or a Nest Cam, etc. but you also don't need to go get anything fancy. Um, in the beginning stages of training, I've had many clients just use Zoom or even FaceTime, for example. Um, but regardless, you need to get your eyes on your pup because it's not just the vocalization. Like, yes, sure, vocalizations will sound different. There's different pitches. There's different, you know, um, all sorts of different characteristics that each vocalization could have and mean something different but I want to look at the big picture I want to see where is that dog when they're vocalizing what are they looking at what were they doing right before what does their body language very important what does their body language look like um, for a dog and again this is a very blanket sweeping statement. Um, every dog is an individual, but generally speaking, when a dog is experiencing an increase in fear, anxiety, or stress, you will see uh, body language shifts that are also indicative of a fear, anxiety, or, and stress when vocalizing. For example, things like ears pinned back or tail down, or maybe crouching, low body. Maybe they have um, you know hackles up, or they're curled, or they're laying down with their mouth shut, or maybe they're panting, etc. So it's less about just the vocalization and more about the big picture of everything going on. Um, and once we get our eyes on that, it'll be much easier for us to determine which way those vocalizations are going. Is it boredom? Is it anxiety? Etc. Um, this can be very challenging to the untrained naked eye. So I highly encourage anybody out there when we're playing around with something that might be actual anxiety, don't guess on it. Uh, reach out to a professional, uh, chat with your veterinarian, reach out to a CSAT, reach out to myself um, and get our eyes on your pups so that we can help you better pick apart what it is that they are trying to communicate. Again, amazing question. Thank you, Caitlin. All right, and the next question comes from Team Ziggy. I love that name, by the way. Um, how to, the, Team Ziggy is curious about how to work on training without your dog vocalizing or neighbor complaints, etc. based on my conversation last week of not allowing our dogs to cry it out. Uh, Team Ziggy, this is 
A great question because this is where a lot of clients find themselves in the predicament of, okay, well, I need to leave or I need to do this or I have prior obligations. My dog is going to vocalize. Um, what can, like, there's nothing that they can do. And that's when, unfortunately, a lot of clients will resort, uh, not my clients necessarily, but a lot of families will uh, resort to things like, shock collars, citronella collars, etc., or big, big crates that prevent the dog from going to the door, etc. So in these situations, we need to remember that our dogs are vocalizing for a reason. And when we're working on changing the way that that individual feels via systematic desensitization, the format that I use for my home alone training protocol, when we're focusing on systematic desensitization, we are gradually exposing our dog to this, the trigger, AKA alone time at low levels that do not exhibit a stress or fear response from the pup. So the good thing is, is that you can continue to get started with training and not need to worry about the vocalizing or the neighbor complaints, etc., because we're sticking below the point of stress in which your dog starts to vocalize. Um, so that's one of the benefits about this. Um, same thing goes for clients that are maybe a little bit scared to let their dog have free reign because they've been using a crate and their dog has been destructive in the past. If removing the crate is deemed appropriate for that pup, you can be rest assured because when we're focusing at the beginning stages of alone time, you're not gone for an hour 20 minutes sometimes not even one minute right so your dog is going to be working at a level of comfort or neutral response where they are not actually in the state of mind where they're going to be be destructive or vocalize etc hopefully that helps out team ziggy but definitely feel free to reach out if you have any more specific questions in regards to your case and the next question comes from Ian F. Um, Ian is curious about whether or not it's okay to use a crate for separation training um, Long story short, Ian, uh, it depends. Um, I have definitely worked through alone time, building up alone time comfort with dogs that are using confinement. However, I will say, and again, this is a general swooping statement, but I will say more often than not, when we remove things like a crate or confinement or barriers or baby gates or X pens, whatever the circumstances might be, oftentimes we can make faster results happen. So um, no behavior change is ever going to happen overnight but when it comes to building up comfortable alone time this can be a I mean I'm going to be honest it can be a daunting process for a lot of clients and we really just want to expedite and get to our results as quickly as possible so in those cases when we do remove crates um, or confinements or whatever the setup is a lot of times we can start to build that neutral or comfortable response much faster okay um, hopefully that helps but again it's, it depends on the dog and um, there's no definitive answer there's always exceptions to the rule but i would say yes it's usually faster without a crate or confinement all right and heather h over here asks how often should um, they be training um this is a great question heather and i would actually push you back over to one of the first episodes where i talk about where to get started um, i dive much deeper into that but uh, to answer your question while we're here in, in a nutshell i would say on average most of my clients are training between four to five days a week um, and that's obviously going to vary case by case and their schedules etc but generally speaking about four to five days a week with at least two options off days does tend to be the sweet spot for maximizing our training results in, in most situations. 
All right, and then the last one for today, and I do have others, but unfortunately I need to get diving into our um, our beefy conversation that we're gonna be having here in a second. So the last question for today, and I'll get everybody in next week. Um, this one also comes from a Heather. This is from Heather P. And I felt that this one was very important um, to address on this episode. So Heather P was asking, or basically giving a statement. Um, she has been working on alone time for a few months. And um, the question about alone time is, what is the best way for her specifically as a human, um, a human handler to handle the ups and downs of behavior modification? Heather, oh my goodness, you are not alone. This is one of the most uh, difficult portions of behavior modification, whether you're working on alone time or whether you're working on leash reactivity, handling ups and downs, it's a struggle, not just for you, for any client. And if they haven't admitted it, they're secretly struggling and they're just not talking about it, okay? Um, I want to assure you that every single case is going to have ups and downs. There's plenty we can do to reduce the likelihood of ups and downs, or when we do have a down, decrease the length of time that the down plateau regression is happening, etc. cetera. Um, but they're natural. They are part of learning. Um, the ebbs and flows of behavior change You've heard me say this time and time again, but behavior is not linear regardless of the species that we're working with. So every case is going to have amazing days. Every case is going to have awful days, awful weeks, awful, you know, whatever the circumstances are. The best way that I have had clients kind of wrap their mind around this is think about the big picture, okay? To get to your goals, regardless of, again, what you're working on, leash reactivity, noise sensitivities, alone time, etc. You cannot look at each individual training session. We need to remember that to hit our goals, we are likely going to have hundreds or thousands of little teeny tiny training sessions built up over time that gradually leads to us hitting our goals, okay? so. I know you know, having worked on this for a few months, it's never an easy fix regardless of the case. This is always something that we're going to be working and helping to improve with our pup, etc. But just know that it's never it's never going to be about the day-to-day. -day. We're never going to be striving for that personal best. What we want is longevity over time, gradually building up that pup's overall comfort level. So um, actually, this is the topic that I'm going to be discussing next week too, Heather. So highly, highly encourage that you either um, you know, put a little memo in your calendar or uh, maybe send me another DM and I can remind you, etc. But the, the conversation next week is going to be surrounding the infamous regressions and plateaus. Um, so definitely tune in uh, next week for that. Thank you so much for everybody that's been sending in questions. It's really, really helpful to know where you're at um, in regards to training, what questions you have, because I'm here for you guys, okay? Like this is, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't receiving such amazing feedback from everybody in regards to how helpful this is with the free education I have both here as well as on my Instagram. Um, and as always, if this episode sparks any questions um, or even if you just have a comment, etc., please be sure to DM me on Instagram. Um, and my new Instagram handle is at home alone academy okay so it's a new it's a new instagram handle be sure to dm me there and follow if you have not already started to follow that new um, instagram um, and i will be sure to include a link in the show notes below for easy access so now on to the exciting stuff so improving overall welfare 
When we are working on modifying behavior, it can be so easy for us to get stuck in the training routine and just look at the big, the big things like our sessions, our success during a session, our overall timeline, our goals, etc. However, if we want to create long-lasting behavior change and really just make the most out of our efforts, we need to shift our mindset, especially, especially if we're working on modifying a behavior with underlying emotions like fear or stress or anxiety okay so how do we do this well we need to look at the bigger picture before we embark on a training journey we need to carefully dissect the following you guys we need to ensure that our dog's physical health is up to par we need to check in with their overall mental health we need to make sure that our dog's stress levels are being monitored and try to figure out exactly what that looks like as a whole we need to pick apart their daily routines and we need to ensure this is the most important you guys we need to ensure that their basic needs of species appropriate diet, physical activity, mental stimulation, and appropriate restful sleep are all being met. So let's think about this from a hu from a human perspective for a second. If you were underslept, um, undernourished, or had been eating junk food, uh, lacking activity, and otherwise not experiencing an enriching life, would you be your best, right? Like, would you perform your best? Would you be able to learn new things? Probably not to the degree that you would be able to if your personal needs were being met, right? Well, guess what? The same applies to our dogs. If we wanna maximize our training efforts, it is critical that we are working towards improving all of the above portions of our dog's life and not just working on quote unquote training. So how do we do this? Let's pick it apart a little bit more. So first, for, first and foremost, do not start an intensive behavior training journey until your pup has a clean bill of health from your vet professional, okay? This is very, very important because a lot of times there can be underlying medical concerns that we are totally oblivious to that might be impacting our pup's overall comfort, therefore changing their actual behavior in certain situations, right? So we need to get that clean bill of health from our vet professional. While you're, <clears throat> excuse me, while you're there covering that portion of physical health, address the mental health component of your with your veterinary professional, especially, again, if your behavior modification journey is surrounding um, emotions such as fear, anxiety, stress, etc. We really need to make sure that we're doing everything that we possibly can to improve the mental health of that individual dog that we're working with. Um, reach out to a training professional before you dive in and ensure that whatever your plan is, is the right path towards your goals. Also remember that you guys, trainers are not all created equal we all have differing backgrounds in terms of education some of us don't have any formal education uh, we all have differing levels of continued education the best trainers out there are those that are continually seeking ceus and constantly improving themselves because you guys Nobody out there knows everything. I don't know everything. The CSAT next to me won't know everything. We are all learning every day through every case, through every continued education, every workshop, every book, every seminar. So if you're working with somebody that is not continually seeking continued continually seeking continued education that sounds weird um seek a second opinion in all honesty there's nothing against that um so when we are working towards increased welfare as a whole uh we need to also remember that we are not using training tactics that involve the use of aversives because if we're using aversives during our training we're likely not decreasing stress levels and we run the risk of actually increasing stress levels and making things worse okay so make sure that you are removing 
those from the day the day to day, especially when working on underlying fear, anxiety, or stress. So next thing we can do is pick apart your dog's individual stressors. You guys, it is rare that a case comes across my desk and they have one issue, alone time, or one issue, leash reactivity. It's awesome when that happens, but those are unicorns, and more often than not, what I have are cases that have alone time issues, leash reactivity issues, stranger danger, noise sensitivities, handling sensitivities, you name it. So start to pick apart your dog's individual stressors and do a little exercise. List them out from most important to least important in regards to um, the speed in which you're able to overcome and get to your goals with each of those. So in the beginning, you guys, Start with just one behavior concern at a time. Don't overload yourself. If you get started with one and happen to have the capacity to add another, awesome, dive in. But start with one, that way you don't lead to burnout, right? And for all of the others, <clears throat> excuse me, this is very important, you guys. For all of the other triggers or stressors out there we that we don't have the capacity to actively work on at that moment, we need to manage, manage, manage. And that just means avoiding these situations and triggers to the best of your ability and find comfort in knowing that every bit of training that you do to help improve your pup's comfort levels in other elements of their lives is likely to have a trickle-down effect into these other concerning areas. So you've heard me say it before, stress does not live in a bubble, and when a dog is constantly stressed with multiple triggers throughout the day, that can all impact um, other elements that are seemingly unrelated. Same thing goes for improving welfare, you guys. If we can remove the stress of one trigger, oftentimes that's just less of a burden on that pup and we might even see a nice little trickle down effect into other areas of their life. Of course that by no means am I saying work on leash reactivity and your alone time issues are going to be completely healed. No, that's not what I mean, but I do mean that a lot of my clients start to see improvements in other elements of their pups lives when they're working on improving um, and increasing welfare. So once you pick apart your dog's average day-to-day, -day, start to recognize if there is room for improvement. As I mentioned with continued education, you guys, we're always learning and doing and striving to be better. Same thing should go for our day-to-day -day pup, like our day-to-day -day dog schedule, okay? So think, think some things to think about. Are they receiving enough physical stimulation, right? Are they getting their activity needs met? How about rest? Are they resting adequately? Um, be mindful of whether their sleep is actually good quality sleep or if they are you know falling asleep and waking up and repositioning and going back to sleep and getting up like multiple times throughout the night or maybe noises outside or just little things happening in the house are alarming them and they're waking up that's not quality sleep and if you are anything like me when I'm not getting quality sleep it kind of messes with everything the next day right I, I know I'm not alone in that so the same thing happens with our pups you guys um, and then lastly but just as important as all of the others we have to be certain that our dog Dogs are receiving access to species appropriate enrichment you guys what does that mean it means providing them with experiences that allow them to rehearse normal canine behaviors um, normal canine behaviors uh, include things like foraging um, chewing on items shredding items hanging with con specifics uh, if they enjoy the company of other dogs I'll be very specific on that not just hang out with dogs all day every day, especially if they don't enjoy it. But if they do, allowing them opportunities to hang out with conspecifics and also allowing them opportunities to problem solve. So if they, our dogs were not domesticated with us, uh, they would likely have access to all of these. So that's just something to keep, keep in mind, okay? Um, adding species appropriate enrichment into our dogs day to day is one of the easiest and probably one of the most beneficial things we can do for our domesticated canines. Living in our concrete worlds has so many 
any restrictions, you guys think about it. Uh, they're either on leash or they're locked inside of a house. Uh, they're only fed when we provide it. They're only exercised when we have the time, etc. So providing them outlets to rehearse these natural behaviors is going to allow them to relax, decompress, de-stress, and just be a dog, okay? So if the thought of enrichment is exciting to you, definitely be sure to head over to Instagram and follow my new handle at Home Alone Academy as I'm going to have an entire series of enrichment ideas that are either low cost or free, uh, free to us. So it's going to be coming out soon. So make sure that you are um, following over there on Instagram. And also, you guys, enrichment does not need to mean that you're spending $20 to $30 on special toys or mats, etc. Those things are awesome, and don't get me wrong, I have an entire closet full of probably hundreds of dollars of different enrichment things. But you guys, we don't need to spend that money. We can actually get super creative with items around the house once we get going. So don't miss out on the ideas that are gonna be coming in that new series. And also keep in mind, you guys, that enrichment is only enriching if that individual finds it enriching. So just because one dog likes a Kong does not mean that that's ultimate enrichment to another dog. Just because one dog likes to shred things does not mean the other dog wants to shred. Find out what your dog likes and make sure that we're changing things up fairly frequently so that we don't just get stuck in a stagnant routine. Same thing with going out for walks. I am highly encouraging of going to different areas and allowing our dogs to sniff new sni uh, new smells and, uh, you know, experience new environments. Same thing goes for our uh, physical enrichment, or sorry, excuse me, our uh, mental enrichment that we're providing them. Change it up. Don't give them the same boring snuffle mat every single day. Switch up what you're doing on the day today or multiple times throughout the day. That's going to be the most enriching for our pup, keeping things uh, fairly novel. So as you can see, there are many ways that we can improve overall welfare and each of these is bound to have an impact on our dog's success during their training journey. Start small, tackle one bullet point at a time, and remember to trust the process. When we're working to change the emotional response of a living being, it is never easy and honestly, it typically never goes at the fast rate that we would hope for. But. If you're following the above recommendations that I had just mentioned, and you'll be working towards increased welfare overall, uh, increasing welfare overall is going to lead to a happier and healthier pup for the many years to come. Well, all right, folks, so that about wraps it up for today. Um, again, don't don't forget to go over to Instagram and follow Home Alone Academy. I'm going to have a ton of awesome enrichment ideas coming your way. And also be sure to tune in next week, especially you, Heather. Um, be sure to turn in, tune in next week because I'm going to be diving much deeper into the infamous regression plateau. OK, we'll talk about, you know, how to do our best to prevent it. We'll talk about what to do when you're in the middle of one and how to best handle them, etc. So do not miss out, my friends. Friends. Did today's episode leave you with any lingering questions? I would be more than happy to address them on my next podcast. Please send me any questions or comments pertaining to this episode via Instagram at Home Alone Academy and or on Twitter at Training with Allie. I'm very much looking forward to hearing from you. All links and information discussed on this podcast can be found in the show notes below. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any individual case. Please consult your veterinarian before adding to or modifying your pet's current treatment plan.